This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. There was a faint dripping coming from the showers in the back of the locker room. But since it is so dark in there, I couldn't see where it was coming from. Sometimes I was scared to open my eyes because it felt like the presence was right on top of me, staring in my face. It was terrifying. My stomach dropped. I knew then that he would probably try to rape and kill me. So I had to think fast and keep him talking. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales that will send chills down your spine. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with a submission from Carson, featuring voice work by John Patnode, and we try to make sense of the shadow person. My middle school had showers in the back of the locker rooms. No one used them since there wasn't enough time to shower after PE ended with the five minutes we had to get to our next class, so they were used as a storage area. No one actually went in there, but from what we could see, it was a big room with enough shower stalls for probably the entire female population of the schools. The lights were always off, so we couldn't see the other wall, just the seemingly endless shower stalls. Back in the spring of 8th grade, I was dreading going into the locker room. It was like my gut was trying to tell me something. (sighs) I should have listened to it, but at that point, I didn't know how to react. And I wasn't about to risk having my parents called because I skipped class, so... Against my better judgment, I went into the locker room and started to get ready for class. There was a faint dripping coming from the showers in the back of the locker room, but since it is so dark in there, I couldn't see where it was coming from. There was always a leak in that room this time of year. I shrugged it off as the normal seasonal leak. My teacher had taken notice to this as she was right next to the shower room, handing out uniforms for 50 cents to those who forgot theirs at home. Carson, can you go check which shower is leaking, please? I need to tell the janitor which one it is. She asked me. I already had a bad feeling about it, but since I was already done changing and checking the showers meant that I'd get to skip a little bit of the next class, I did what I was asked. I brought my phone with me, not wanting to leave it out in the open. I'd put it in my locker before I went to class anyway. I reached out over to turn on the lights. Nothing. The lights didn't turn on. I flipped the switch again. Still nothing. 
I heard my PE teacher call out to me that they didn't work and just to use my flashlight. That had already struck me as odd. I went on anyway, using my phone's flashlight to see. My phone's flashlight wasn't very good. I could only see about five feet in front of me, but it was better than nothing. Since the showers were used as a storage space, you couldn't really see the pipes leading up to the shower heads, so it was hard to see which one was leaking. It was very musty in there, and I wouldn't have been surprised if they found mold in there. I'm sure they had at some point. I continued inspecting every stall until I spotted something out the corner of my eye. I turned and pointed my flashlight in the direction I saw it. I didn't see anything except for a dark, shadowy figure fleeing off to the back left corner of the room. I shrugged it off, thinking it was just my mind playing tricks on me. I eventually found the one with the leak and made a mental note of which one it was before turning to head back to the locker room. Standing in the stall directly in front of me was a tall, dark figure. I froze, unsure of what to do. I pulled out my camera and took a picture of it. I looked back at the picture and there was nothing there. But still, standing before me was the figure. I could feel my heart pounding in my chest as I tried to force my legs to move. Eventually they responded and I ran out of the room and back into the locker room. I didn't dare look behind me in case it was following me. I got back to the locker room and turned to look back at the showers. The figure reached the open doorway and vanished, as if it was never there. I took one last look at the photo on my phone. It still wasn't there. I know what I saw, it was right there in front of me. I should have just said no and not gone to check which one was leaking. There was one thing for sure though, I would not be going back there ever again. I ran to tell my teacher and told her the number of the stall that was leaking. I didn't mention what I saw because I didn't want to be labeled as the kid that cried ghost. To this day, I still have no idea what I saw. Whether or not the figure was actually there or if it was just my mind playing tricks on me. I never told anyone, until now. I had nightmares about it for months after and I had to convince myself that it was just my mind playing tricks on me. Have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email my story at disturbedpodcast.com. Up next is a submission from Michaela, featuring voice work by Danuta Marie. And we have another run in with our friend, the Hat Man. I'll start by saying I've never even heard of The Hat Man until your recent podcast episode. A few months ago, I was experiencing what I thought were paranormal experiences in the home my husband and I had recently just bought together. All of the events happened between 3 and 4 a.m. almost nightly. The floors in our bedroom are very loud and creak when you walk on them, mainly at the foot of our bed and in the closet area. It all started as hearing the floors creaking like someone was slowly pacing back and forth at the foot of the bed. One night, I actually felt like someone sat on the end of the bed. My husband didn't ever believe me and brushed it off and said it was always nothing. 
You know how you can feel someone's presence in a room? Like they can walk in silently and you just feel it and open your eyes and they're right there? Well, I woke up frequently feeling as though someone had just walked into my bedroom. Sometimes I was scared to open my eyes because it felt like the presence was right on top of me staring in my face. My entire body would feel it, like tingles all over. It was terrifying. We have a chalet-style house, two bedrooms downstairs, and our loft-style bedroom and a bathroom at the top of the open stairs that overlooks the entire living room and kitchen area. One night, my cousin Kelsey stayed the night with us in a bedroom downstairs. I woke up at 6 a.m. to a text from my cousin at 3.30 a.m. that said, Did you just knock on my door? My husband sometimes gets up for work around that time, so I told her it was probably him making noise in the hallways getting ready for work. I texted my husband and asked him if he was up at 3.30. He said no and asked why I was asking him that. I said Kelsey said she heard someone knock on her door really fast and forcefully three times. My husband, who refuses to believe in all things paranormal, said, Holy shit, are you serious? I said, Yeah, why? He said, I heard something around the same time last night. It sounded like someone was running up the stairs to our bedroom. I got up to look and no one was there. Things got progressively worse. Every single night, I'd be up at 3 a.m. and not going back to sleep. I felt like our bedroom had the most activity, but my two-year-old daughter, who has been a great sleeper and slept in her crib all night long since she was six months old, started getting up and coming to bed with us every night. Sometimes, she'd cry so hard going to her crib that even my husband was concerned about how she seemed like she was terrified of something in there. After weeks of this, I started hearing someone talking to me. I'd be asleep and I'd hear my name being whispered very close to my face while I was sleeping. One night, a voice woke me up saying, Michaela, turn on the light. And I kind of groggily answered, Why? Because I thought it was my husband telling me to turn the bedside table light on. Then I heard, Michaela, turn the light on and I'll let you wear my top hat. I woke up and was thinking, Wow, what a weird, random dream. I told my husband and we laughed about it because it was just ridiculous. I continued to dream about a tall, dark shadow trying to come into my room and open the door. One night while my husband was working a night shift, I was woken by the floors creaking at 3.30 a.m. as per usual. I sat up and turned the light on and the TV and sat on my phone, freaked out about it, texting my husband about when he'd be home. Then I heard a low growling. I checked to see if it was windy and thought maybe the house was creaking from it. Not a breath of wind outside. It sounded like an angry dog about to attack. I was so scared. I called a psychic and a member of the local church to see what I could do that day. I was given a prayer to say in the house and advised to sage the house. I have since started saying this prayer every single night before bed and the presence seems to have left or calmed down at least. I still don't care for my bedroom. After your recent episode about the hat man, I googled it and read that the hat man basically feeds off of your fear. I was always the most scared at night when my husband was working nights and that's when most of the events would happen. I also read that he looms around people who are in turmoil. I was definitely suffering from some depression and high stress levels at that time. Things are getting better. I've started counseling and my husband no longer works night shift. I'm hoping that the hat man 
who suggested letting me wear his top hat, for whatever reason, never makes his way into my space again. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Now back to the deliciously frightful. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Next up, we have a submission from Alyssa, featuring voice work by Rhiannon Mauschel, and we meet up with an old friend. I have spent years trying to process what I encountered one night in 2020, and honestly, I have not been able to. I'm still haunted by what happened. For context, I was fresh out of a six-year-long relationship, and like any single 21-year-old female, I downloaded Tinder. I met many different men and went on my fair share of dates, but none escalated into anything serious. Additional information is that I was and am studying forensic psychology and criminology. This one day, I was on Tinder and I saw this guy I went to high school with that I used to have the biggest crush on. I remembered him as being kind, compassionate, and adventurous, which was everything I was currently looking for. We had shared a few conversations in high school and he always could make me laugh. So I swiped yes on him, all the while thinking there was no way we would actually match. But later that day, we did. We quickly exchanged numbers and began talking all day, every day, reminiscing about high school memories, talking about our current career paths, what we were looking for in a relationship, you know, the normal topics of conversation. Everything was going perfectly, and he was just as amazing as I remembered. 
One thing led to another, and he eventually invited me to come see him at the lake with his family where they were currently camping. He said that they were going to light off fireworks and have a cookout, and said that I could show up when I got off work if I wanted. I explained that I wouldn't be off until 9 p.m., and with the long drive out there, I probably wouldn't arrive until 10 p.m., but he assured me that it was okay and that they would wait to light the fireworks with me. So I decided to go. Had it been a stranger, I would never have gone to such a secluded area. But since we knew each other from high school, I figured it would be fine. Anyway, the end of my shift rolled around and I began the long ride to the campgrounds. Halfway there, I started to feel anxious because I was so excited to see him, but the weight of meeting his family was starting to gnaw at me. So I called my friend to lighten my mood. After about 20 minutes of pointless girl talk, I told her I needed to go before I lost reception and she said to let her know when I made it back into town and to be safe. Being only 10 minutes away, that anxious feeling came back, but stronger. I brushed it off again as nerves and eventually pulled into the campgrounds. I shot him a quick text asking him which spot he was in and he said that if I wanted to park, he'd come and get me since his family's campsite did not have any more parking left. I agreed and turned off the car and stepped outside. I waited for a few minutes until I heard footsteps coming up the road toward me. Griffin? I called out and there was no answer. I started walking to the direction of the footsteps thinking that he just didn't hear me and jumped when I eventually came across a tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed man. This was a vast difference to Griffin's short stature, brown hair, and brown eyes. I waved shyly at the man and continued walking forward to find Griffin. Alyssa? The blonde man called to me. I felt chills race up and down my spine, and I decided to ignore him and quickened my pace. Alyssa, stop, it's me. I'm the person you were talking to. My steps faltered and I turned and looked at him. What do you mean? Who are you? He smirked, and when he did, his eyes had a maniacal look to them. I'm Griffin. I froze, and reality settled in. I was now in the secluded woods with a stranger that had pretended to be my high school crush. I stated the obvious about him not being Griffin, and he laughed at me while saying he played the role of Griffin well. He then asked me if I still wanted to see the fireworks. I didn't know what to do. My cell had no reception and my car was probably half a mile up the road. I remembered every lesson that I had learned in psychology thus far and realized I had to play his game. So I quickly agreed to the fireworks. He walked over to me and snaked his arm around my shoulders and walked me to a clearing that was right next to the lake. There were no bonfires, tents, or anything. I asked where the fireworks were and I knew the answer before he even said anything. Oh, sweetheart, there aren't any fireworks. My stomach dropped. I knew then that he would probably try to rape and kill me, so I had to think fast and keep him talking. I remember telling him that I was glad Griffin wasn't there because he was more entertaining. I remember telling him how romantic it was that it was just the two of us. All he did was hum in response. I asked him to tell me about himself, like his name. He then laughed at me. Not a soft laugh, but fully howled in hysteria. These next sentences are what still haunts my dreams. You are truly a clever girl, but I see through you. Watching you has its advantages. I know when you're lying. This stranger had watched me, 
stalked me for who knows how long before luring me here. I knew then that I was going to have to fight for my life. Sweet talk was just not going to work with him. I stuck my hands into my hoodie pocket and used one to grab my keys, winding my fingers around them so the keys protruded in between each finger when I made a fist. My other hand quickly wrapped around my mace and flicked it open. I like researching pretty girls like you, the same way you like researching men like me. Still to this day, I wonder if that was him confessing to being a killer, as those are the only men I actively research. I took a step closer to him and smiled forcibly and told him he had pretty eyes. I was trying to keep him distracted so I could get close enough to unleash all sorts of hell with my mace. His eyes flicked to mine, and then to my lips. Then, he quickly swooped in and kissed me. I temporarily froze, and then in one fluid motion, I ripped my hands from my hoodie, stepped back, and unleashed the whole canister of mace in his face. I took off running in the direction of my car and prayed I'd get there before he caught up. Once my car was in eyesight, I fumbled with the key to unlock it, and I intentionally made sure to only hit the unlock button once as all but the driver door would remain locked. Once my hand, that was once holding the mace, wrapped around my car door handle, I felt his strong grip rip my hand away. He practically growled out that I had officially pissed him off. I whirled around and started swinging. The keys still webbed in between my fingers had caused me to cut up his face, getting his blood all over them. I then kicked him in his lower region and ripped the door open and stumbled in. I leant over to my passenger seat floor and found a glass Coke bottle and grabbed it. He stood in between me and my door now, preventing me from closing it, and I just started lashing out. I swung the bottle and hit him so hard in the head that it shattered. He staggered a bit and I kicked him in the chest as hard as I could with my left leg as he fell on his back. I quickly slammed the door close and locked it. Putting the key in the ignition as fast as I could, I turned the car on just as he started pounding on my window, and his face was that of pure evil. I honestly can't even describe the look he had given me, but thinking about it now still gives me chills. I put the car in reverse, and this is the truly terrifying part. In my backup camera was another man dressed all in black. He had a friend with him the whole time, and the second man had gone unnoticed until now. I didn't think about what I was doing, but I reversed, not caring if I ran over the second man and peeled out of there. Once I got cell reception, I called the police and headed straight towards the station. Within the 30 minutes it took the police to get to the campgrounds, the blonde man and his friend were gone. I gave a statement and they swabbed my keys to see if there was a match for DNA, but nothing came from it. Years later, the blonde man and his friend have never been found, and every day I fear that he is still watching. I still can't go anywhere alone, but I am slowly working through this trauma, and I hope to free myself of this fear one day. I thank God for my ability to think quick on my feet, because I don't want to know where I'd be if I hadn't. Just remember, everyone, if you reconnect with someone from high school online, even if they recall detailed memories, it may not be them. Are you terrified yet? You will be. And finally, we close out the show hearing from Reddit user Peculiar Yellow, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin. 
and we have a coffee shop stalker. A little bit of background. I, 23 female, was 20 at the time. I moved in with my uncle in San Antonio, Texas, with the agreement that I didn't have to pay rent as long as I helped him out with chores and my cousins. I got a job at a super-known coffee chain downtown, close to the touristy part of the area. We had a lot of regulars and a lot of homeless coming in and out. I felt relatively safe, though, because I got to know the people there and it was almost always a lot of foot traffic. I used to even take walks after work in the area, especially since I was super close to the river walk. Skipped to a couple months into the job and I was friends with everyone I worked with. We were all super close. On this particular day, it was one of my co-workers last day. There was about three guys who had been in there almost all morning. They hadn't bought anything and were just hanging out, which was not unusual for my location. On my break, I decided to walk down to a nearby drugstore so I could get a farewell card and maybe a small gift for said coworker. I walked out and put my earphones in, and before I could press play, I hear the door open behind me and footsteps following behind. Whoever it was caught up to me and started walking beside me, matching my pace exactly. I turned to look, and it was one of the guys that had been there all morning. He tried to ask for my number, and I kindly told him no. He persisted, and I, with a short temper, told him to fuck off. He stopped and stared at me in surprise, as I don't look like someone who speaks up or would be rude. He stood there as I walked away, and by the time I went back, they were gone. I proceeded to tell my co-workers about the encounter, and we laughed it off. I thought that would be the end of it. I was wrong. Every shift after that, he would already be there just hanging out or would walk in mid-shift. Sometimes with somebody else and sometimes by himself. My shifts were sporadic. Some days I opened, some days I closed. Some days I worked mid, but it didn't matter. He was always there. At that point, I started feeling paranoid. I would always catch him staring in my direction. He never ordered anything, never talked to me, and luckily wouldn't follow me. He would just sit there watching me. I started mentioning it to my coworkers, and they started noticing it too. One of my team leaders would help me out by sending me to wash dishes in the back or organize the cooler. My coworkers would also try and place themselves to try and block me from his view. I started feeling uncomfortable at work. Sometimes when I closed, a coworker would walk me to my car before heading home themselves. Or if I didn't close, they would walk me to my car and turn around and head back to work. Then one day of him just staring, I was working the register that day, he walked up and ordered a water. I asked him for his name for his order. I now had his first name just in case. He took his water and sat down. I had mentioned him before to my manager, but because he hadn't really done anything, we couldn't do anything beside noted in the manager book. The next day, I worked with my manager. It was him, two other co-workers, and me. I told them I had to go to the bathroom real quick. There were two bathrooms right next to each other, but sort of hidden from the coffee bar and register, and they weren't gender-specific. I walked around the bar to the lobby area. 
I had to pass his table and walk down the lobby to get to the bathrooms. I noticed him get up before going inside the bathroom. I sat down to do my business when someone rattled the knob. I shouted out that it was occupied, but whoever it was just kept rattling the door until I finished. When I opened the door, no one was there, and walking back, I noticed him adjusting back into his chair. I was super freaked out and told my boss. He couldn't tell him anything because we had no proof that it was him. Later that shift, he got up and picked up a coffee from the pickup area. My boss assumed he had ordered it and let him take it. I told him it wasn't and that it wasn't even his name. My boss used this as an opportunity to tell him if he does something like that again, he can't come back. The man apologized and actually stuck to the rules every day after that. He went back to just watching me. Cut to Valentine's Day. One of my team leaders and I would be scheduled to work certain Thursdays after close to deep clean the store. We would stay until 1 a.m. This was one of those Thursdays. We were almost done and I had to clean the bathrooms as one of the last chores. I finished and as I walk out of the bathroom, I see him peeking in with both his hands pressed to the window, eyes wide just staring at me with this super intense look. I froze for a second just staring back. I notice on one of his palms that is pressed to the window, a purple foam heart. He doesn't move at all. I freak out and go back into the bathroom. I shout, Hannah, Hannah, he's here, he's back. She barely hears me through the music we were blasting. Hannah was the team lead who would help me hide from him, so she knew the huge fear I had towards him. She walks towards the bathroom shouting back, what are you saying? What's going on? As soon as she gets close, she sees him. I told her again, he's here, he's watching me. She started shouting through the window. You need to leave. If you don't leave, we're calling the police. I step out a little to see if he'll leave and he's ignoring her and his eyes were fixated in my direction. I step back into the bathroom and my lead continues to shout at him to leave and threatens him with the police. About five minutes pass and he realizes that I'm not stepping out until he leaves. So he does. The next day, my lead and I told my manager I want to file a police report. He tells me no, to wait until he talks to his boss. He shows up again that day, but I was only there to talk to my manager and leave right after. When I got home, a friend convinced me to call the cops. So I text my boss that I don't care what he or his boss says. I'm scared and I'm gonna file that report. I dial 911 and tell them a summarized version. They tell me they're going to send someone to where I live to take the official report. The two officers were so nice and supportive. I told them my whole story and how my boss didn't feel the need to get cops involved since I wasn't harmed. The officers told me that I should have called right away and defend me saying they can get him for harassment. I thank them and they tell me that if he shows up to dial 911 so they can take him in for trespassing and harassing. I think that day my manager banned him and warned him because he never showed up to the coffee shop again. A few months later, when I was comfortable again with downtown, I went out with some friends to walk around. We were close to where I work, and as we round a corner, I see him, and so I duck into a little corner store and my friends follow. I told them I saw him, and they kept an eye out. Once he was out of view, we left the store, and that was the last time I saw him. So creepy coffee shop stalker.
Let's not meet again. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Submit your own experience to the show in writing or through the hotline at disturbedpodcast.com. Disturbed is produced by yours truly and funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And let's shout out our newest supporters, Mary Lungu, Amanda Merrill, Lori Clam, Christine Reinhardt, Jordan Anderson, and Kenna Phipps. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases, and you can too. Patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.